Welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Fury. A privilege to be with you all once again. And as you will all know, I have interviewed many stars from the wrestling business, especially from the Florida scene. And a lot of these guys are just completely underappreciated and underrated as far as I'm concerned. And I've got one of these guys right here, right now. He's former six-time FOW heavyweight champion, two-time IPW heavyweight champion, two-time NWA Florida heavyweight champion, and a plethora more. He's the one. He's the only. He is Billy Fives. How are you, bro? I'm good, man. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Excellent, bro. Me too. I've been uh, looking forward to this since I interviewed uh, your good friend, Scoot. Uh, as uh, that guy. <laughs> uh, he, he, he put you over a, a million bucks and said that, that you would definitely give me the best interview I've ever had. So <laughs> I know that's a lie. <laughs> he will never put me over him. He may say second best. He's not going to put me over him. <laughs> uh, anyway, sir, great to have you on the show. Uh, the first question, as per usual, is before you got in the business, I'm sure you've been asked this many times. How did you become a, a, a fan of professional wrestling? Uh, you know, like you already said, I'm a Florida boy. So we had championship wrestling from Florida. I'm born and raised dead center Miami. And we had Wednesday nights at the Miami Beach Convention Center, man. It'd be dusty or steamboat or flares in town. Every now and then it'd be Andre. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up with money. So I quickly learned how to sneak in. And uh, the boys kind of discovered, because I was always tiny, man. I, my senior year of high school, I wrestled at 105. I didn't grow until after high school. So they, they saw this little kid sneaking in. They thought I was like nine. And uh, they just, I don't know, they befriended me. And all of a sudden, I, I started getting slid in and just, you know, hanging out and watching the shows. And it became a huge mark, not only for the business, but the, the guys that were there that actually took care of me. Right, that's awesome. Excellent stuff. I love hearing things like that. Just those those uh, cherished memories from when you're younger. Um, and in my research, I, I read that you uh, early on in life became friends with a man that we all know as Norman Smiley. Uh, wanted to know a little bit about how you first met Norman and, and how that friendship came to be. Well, his brother, Sean, and I, same age. Norman's a couple of years older than us. And we went to school together. They moved here when Sean was 12. So Norman's 14, 15 at that point. At that point, I was really just Sean, you know, his, his little brother's little friend. So, I mean, we'd see each other and be friendly, whatever. And then when I got to high school, uh, I ended up on the wrestling team and Norman was on the wrestling team. So that bond grew right there. And he graduated shortly after we got to high school. And then the next thing I know, who's on TV for championship wrestling from Florida, but Black Magic. You know, so of course I'm marking out for him and uh, we, we lost contact because he kind of went off traveling his his way. And then I graduated high school and, and I kind of I disappeared for years off around the world, just doing a whole bunch of different things. And then we happened to reconnect years later. Sean still his brother is like my brother. It may not be blood, man, but we're brothers. 
That's awesome to hear. Um, speaking of you tripping around the world, again, my research tells me that you did a little bit of, uh, well, you, you're quite into martial arts uh, at a younger age. Is that correct? And, and eventually that leads you into uh, doing some sort of like shoot fighting or, or mixed martial arts type things in Japan. Is, is that true? And please tell me some stories about all that because that sounds a little crazy. So, you know, growing up is the... Uh... The, the only white kid in predominantly minor, minority neighborhoods, I got into a lot of trouble growing up because I, I, I wasn't a back away kid from birth, man. I fought and I fought and I fought. And after I think the third school I got kicked out of um, by six years old, my mom had decided that she needed to figure something else out. So <laughs> she got me into judo thinking it would calm me down. I don't know if that quite worked out. Uh, just made me <laughs> a little better at what I was doing. But I never stopped. I, you know, to this day, I was, uh, what's today? Today's Thursday. So Tuesday, I was on the mat grappling for about 30 minutes. I'm a little older now. I can only do about 30 minutes of grappling. And then I got in and I sparred eight rounds. Um, I still love it. And then, yeah, just a, a transition. I happened to, I graduate high school, end up wor working a club in New York, get into a fight. And the guy walks up to me, Doug Kim, and he's like, you know, you ever thought about fighting pro? And I, the only fighting pro at this point, this was, 89 or 90 um was right. boxing and i'm like no nah, boxing big pillows on my hands and lots of rules i mean they're, they're badasses they train like animals and like i said i just boxed eight rounds the other day it's crazy but to me that wasn't fighting that was without a doubt a sport but it's not fighting and he was like no 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 and he gave me an address to come check it out all of a sudden i show up and these guys are throwing each other and they're on the mat and they're they're shooting submissions i'd never seen before and i was like whoo you know this this could be good so immediately I started training there and then it was maybe six, eight months later that Doug would said he had a tour. And back then, you know, there's no athletic commissions. There's none of that stuff. So you fly in, you make weight because we did have weight. It wasn't like the early UFC where you'd have little, little dude against <laughs> yeah. big dude. So at that point I was fighting at about 155. And so you came in, you made weight the first day and it could be a two week tour that you were fighting four to six times. It didn't matter what you ate at the end of the tour. You just had to make weight first day. And then you traveled around and there were days, man, I walked in with a compress to my eye. I walked in with maybe this eye glued shut, um, walked in the, the fight before the dude tweaked my elbow and you know what, tape it up and go. Cause if you didn't fight, you didn't get paid. So it was a little different than, uh, than it is now, you know, but, uh, yeah, we had some good times, man. It, uh, you, you, you've traveled as a group. When you got to, because we traveled different, I was, I was all over Asia and you travel, we were the core group. And then you got to the different countries. You'd have the guys from that country that would get in on the card and fight some of us. And you'd meet these guys and train with them and then get in the ring and beat the hell out of each other. And the, the craziest stuff was honestly the food because you'd go from country to country. And I, I developed a quick rule, which was don't put it on my plate if it has legs or a head. And please don't tell me what I'm eating. I'll eat anything. Just don't tell me what it is. Even afterwards, I don't want to know. I'll just, if it was good, I'll tell you it was good. And if you see me again, you can serve me the same thing. That's fine. But yeah, I've probably eaten some weird crap all over the damn world. Excellent, excellent. So when you're doing like a tour like this, you're just fighting every night? No, no, no. I mean, you have travel days. Okay. Um, so like I said, if it was a two-week tour, if you were in a real localized area, maybe you got in six fights. Um, if you were traveling a bunch, maybe four. That's still crazy in a short period of time to. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> you know, back then it was called, you know, no holds barred. 
there were still, mm. I mean, you couldn't go for the eyes or the throat or the, or the privates or any of that stuff, but everything else, man, was wide open. And, you know, they didn't stop fights because of blood. They didn't, you know, it, they the rules were very limited North South. You know, I could knee you direct in the top of your skull, no ifs, ands, or buts. If you were on the ground, I could kick you right in the face. You know, so it was uh, it was a little different time. And then you had to turn around and fight again within maybe the, the, the day after or the next day after. Or if you were lucky and you were traveling a little more, it was three days later. But, yeah, it was it was uh, it was, you know, you're young, dumb. You think you're indestructible. You know, you woke up the next day you're like, oh, I'm a little sore, but I can do this again. If anything close to that happened today, I'd be in bed for a week. Well, props to you, bro, for having the balls to go and do stuff. But I couldn't do anything like that. But uh, I've seen some early, like the first UFC, and I've seen, I think it was, it's called IVC. It was in Brazil, I think. Uh, uh, just, you know, bare knuckle. Uh, the first show I ever saw of it, it was a tournament. And after each fight, they would give you an update on what happened to the guy afterward. And like most of the guys in that first show retired, never fought again because they were so messed up. <laughs> uh, so, no doubt. Luckily, I was a ground guy. I didn't stand there and get punched in the face a lot. I was taking you to the ground. I've always been a ground guy. <laughs> See, that's the that's the smartest way of fighting. The wrestlers, they always they're always the ones that win. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Training with Rusty Brook uh, at the School of Hard Knocks. I I remember seeing some other names there: Norman, uh, David Heath, I believe. Uh, tell me about the the moment you decide to get away from the real stuff and just to move on to the stuff where you had to make it look real. But <laughs> I uh, I had stopped for a couple years and. Okay had quit bouncing around so much was more stationary here in South Florida. And I was running nightclubs down here and Sean Norman's brother was working for me. Any club I had in South Florida, Sean was there with me. And one day we were at, uh, I think we were at Sean's house and Norman was in town visiting. And we just started talking about, you know, old times, whatever Norman knew what I did overseas. And so we talked about that. And then he happened to bring up if I'd be interested in getting into the wrestling business. And, you know, I, I, at first I was like, yeah, that's just Norman being nice, whatever. And, he asked me if I remembered Rusty Brooks and I remember the name. And so Sean and I walk out and he's like, All right, so you're going to take Norman up on that deal. And I'm like, nah, and that's just him being nice. Sean's like, dude, he's hung out with all of our friends. He's never invited anybody forget, get in the business. He's never invited them to a show. And so I jumped, I pulled out my cell phone and I was like, Hey man, you serious? And he's like, yeah, I go, is there money? Cause I didn't give a crap about getting into it because I was a fan. I wanted money. And at that point, Norman was in town from, I think he just came from Mexico. And he told me what he made in the time that he was there. And I was like, all right, where do I show up? And I showed up to the school and uh, Norman brought me there. Barry Houston, um, old school indie guy, great dude. One of the, uh, I think he was like the third or fourth Blackheart, along with Tom Nash and Dave Heath and Dave Johnson. He was there. Um, Dave Heath, great friend of mine, man. I hang out with Dave all the time. Um, he showed up with Luna maybe... He wasn't Gangrel yet. He was still Vampire Warrior. And I think they showed up maybe a month into my training. Uh, who else was there, man? There was I got lucky. There was a Soul Man Alex G was there, local Florida guy, just phenomenal worker, knows the ins and outs, and not only just a, work, a great trainer. So I got really lucky having core group of guys. Dave Johnson that I brought up, the Blackheart, uh, Casey Thompson, Cliff Anders. I mean, the list goes on of how lucky I was the veterans that were there 
that not only taught me the stuff in the ring and, and man, I was a mission to teach because I came from such a different background that I remember Rusty and Rusty passed, you know, love him. Um, I remember his voice in my ear constantly when I would be in the ring with somebody, Billy, it's a fucking work because I would just be shooting shit all the time. And these guys, they took it, man. Cause I would, and I'd have to apologize a lot, you know, and, and learn not to, and I never hurt anybody, but I laid shit in there. And that kind of became what I did in the ring period. But, um, you know, Rusty just, he, he was great in that he not only taught me how to work, but the, and all the guys there, they taught me the business itself so that I didn't walk in this business full of the snakes and, and just the bullshit that takes place in the wrestling business. Twofold was because I didn't get taken advantage of and, and really more important than anything. Was, and Norman gave them all the heads up is that I wouldn't have taken, I would have beat the shit out of people and I would have walked into a building, beat the hell out of people and left. I don't care. I never cared about getting booked. You know, if you book me, you book me. If you don't, I don't give a shit. That was honestly my attitude when I walked in the back with the WWE, WCW, ECW. I was like, whatever. If I'm not here, I'll be somewhere else making money. Doesn't matter to me. I just, I never took shit. And they taught me a great way of just seeing the shit before it came and being able to cut it off. So I was lucky not only work style, but just the business itself to learn so damn much at that school. Definitely, yes. It's it's super important to... uh, to be taught the, all those different things, not just the in-ring stuff, because uh, there's a plethora of things that you can get wrong, which will immediately get you heat somewhere, even if you didn't intend it that way. You ask one question, you're off TV for 10 months or something like that. <laughs> some of the stories I've heard is like, my God, he asked a question and they were relegated to dark matches in house shows for nearly a year. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to you, uh, April 1997. Flex Magnum is the opponent. First match in my research. That's what I've been, that's what I've learned. I believe but, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lucky. Sometimes the internet's Definitely wrong. Flex and my daughter was born in May 2nd, 97. So yeah, it was April. It was like a week or two before she was born. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. How did the first match go? Well, Flex was one of the guys that helped train me. Flex was kind of like in rusty school. He was, I'd say 95% of the time, the first match for everybody. Uh, just because you were going to have a comfort level with him. Not only is somebody help train you, but that's just who he is. He's still around today. I still see actually made a joke on my Facebook the other day about me. Um, and still in the social, in, in the wrestling scene down here helps out a lot. So to me, I mean, I walked out, I don't stress. It's not a thing with me. I've, I've been through just a lot, man. So you weren't going to stress me. So I walked out and it was, it was a, um, a, a, a church fair. So it was outside but it was a crowded fair. So there were a lot of people around the ring. My uh, ex-wife, you know, at that point, my wife pregnant standing there with, with the big ass belly and um, Sean Norman's brothers out there with a sign that I forget some stupid joke he made. And so I'm laughing the whole time. I'm having a good time. And luckily I'm a baby face. So I can, I can laugh and Fleck played the bad guy and he did perfect. He carried my little green ass through the exact match we wanted so much so that when we got in the back, Norman was supposed to be the headliner. And I, I forget, he, I don't know, miscommunicated. Whatever it was, Norman didn't show up, and that's not like him. And so I walk in the back, and Rusty was like, all right, kid, you know, that was great, blah, blah, blah. Gave me a couple pointers. And he goes, how do you feel about doing another one? I go, cool, when? And he's like, main event. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, what? <laughs> and uh, 
So I worked another guy that, that helped train me, um, uh, Pat McGuire. And I get, you know, rusty and I wouldn't have cared, man. I can do the job. I don't need to go over to get over. It's been my saying forever. Um, but rusty came up with some swerve finish where I ended up going over where he ran out and did the save. I don't remember exactly what happened. Went in there. Same thing. Guy that helped train me, carried my little green ass through a match. The crowd was behind me, even though flex had beaten me first match. And everything went great, man. So my first show was actually a double shot all at once. But, you know, again, I was carrying, it wasn't, it wasn't some show where a green guy from a show, from a school shows up somewhere and they're like, who the hell is this guy? So yeah, I, I was carried like a song bitch, man. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, skimming a little bit forward, I wanted to get to the 11th of May, 1999. Uh, I believe uh, you have a, a dark match at the National Car Rec Center against Bruno Sassi on Heat. Uh, was this the first time you had an opportunity to work a dark match in, in the WWF? Yeah, I'd worked, I'd gotten booked with Jim Cornette through the WWF. Kevin Kelly took great care of me. I met him um, prior to my first shot. Uh, it was ECWA, I think, or some, I forget where I met Kevin. But he was he was pushing me to come in and, and you know work at the Fed and got me some bookings with uh, <clears throat> with Cornette that he was doing shows and he had Fed guys on him. So it was my first that was my first actual show with the Fed. But they you know they I'd done some shots I'd actually worked on with Edge and Christian the Hardys when they were just barely coming up into the Fed. But yeah that was that was the uh, that was the first one that was uh, that that's my one and only uh, Owen Hart ribbon meet day yeah. My first freaking day, my first shot ever was, uh, and I worked Bruno Sassi, another guy that helped train me, which was great, worked out perfect for me. And yeah, yeah, that was first one. I did, honestly, you told me the date. I didn't remember it. Um, it was uh, the 11th of May, 1999. There we go. Uh, I, I, I remember, it's, two days, it's right around my birthday, man. <laughs> you mentioned Owen Hart. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned yeah, that, that one heart. It, it was the next weekend that he passed. Oh my god! Of course. Yeah. Shit, bro. Mm -hmm. Oh my I gosh! Actually, I got into an elevator. I was on a tour in Peru. We had done the show, and I got into the elevator. And the promoter of the show is an infamous freaking river himself, Bobby Rogers. Um, I was coming back from showering and stuff, and we, I get in the elevator, and he's like, "Do you hear about Owen?" And I'm like, "No, what are you talking about?" And he tells me the story, and being the river that he is, and I had. I had marked out for Owen ribbing me on that one day on May 11th, now that I know it. Um, so I had told that story to, to the guys when I was down there. I was like, this motherfucker, you're not going to believe what he did. And um, so when he told me this story, I thought he's ribbing me because I had just told the Owen story. And I'm like, man, don't, don't lie about shit like that. That's And then the elevator doors opened to the lobby and Rusty was there, um, a bunch of the boys. And based on their facial expression, I looked at him and I was like, oh, my God, you're telling me the truth. And yeah, that one hurt, man. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't friends with him. Um, I'd heard a lot of nothing but good shit. Like as I'm telling the story, all I heard was good stuff about people that had been around him. And my story was, yeah, he's, he ribbed me, but in a way to, to make me comfortable, he did it for a good reason, you know? So I would, yeah, that one stung, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, uh, I think I was in, uh, I was in uh, grade seven at, in school. And uh, I remember that morning, uh, on Monday, it was a Monday morning, I believe. And yeah, everyone was talking about it. And like, yeah, we just all couldn't believe it as, you know, kids. Uh, anyway, 
moving on from there, um, I wanted to talk about a company known as Future of Wrestling. Obviously, you're yeah, six times heavyweight champion there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is like, uh, from my research, it appears that this is like home ground for you. You know, this is your, this is the company you spent most of your, your career at, um, but my research could be wrong. Uh, it's split between Bobby Rogers, FOW, and Ron Nini's IPW. Okay. I lived in the FOW territory, South Florida. Yeah. Um, and then I worked extensively. Uh, and it was actually that tour of Peru where all the, uh, half the guys were from Tampa. And Scoop was, he was an IPW guy. He wasn't on this tour, but he'd been pushing Ron to use me for a while. And half the guys, the Shane twins actually is who I flew down there with. And they were like, man, you have to come to Tampa. And I was like, whatever, man, just have the dude call me. As long as I'm getting paid, I'll be there. And so I'd say I had two homes. I was lucky to have two. My, where I lived, FOW, and then IPW in Tampa. Right, excellent, excellent. Um, for, for anyone out there not really uh, up to scratch on what Future of Wrestling was all about, could you uh, let us know, uh, you know, from your standpoint, what uh, Future of Wrestling was and and the impact that the company might have had in, in that area. Well, Bobby had been in the business since he, I think he was like, I think he was setting up like speakers and stuff. I mean, just doing whatever he could to be around the boys. I, yeah, you'd have to ask him, but it was 12, 13, 14 years old. And he had a mind for it. The guy just, he, he lived and breathed wrestling. And so when I first broke in, FOW wasn't around. It was, uh, I was working with Rusty with IPWA there was another local promoter down here, Bill Brown. I forget the name of his company. And I would do shots here and there. And then I ended up on, you know, WWE. Um, was, FOW was around already with that point. So, yeah, FOW came around before the tours of Peru and for WWE. But Bobby started, you know, the typical indie. We started at maybe a VFW or something. And it was a good time. And he ran some great stories. I was the curtain jerker. I'd say probably for a year minimum. And it was me and Rusty's son, J-Dog, that were locked up in this feud where we were curtain jerking almost every single show and just setting the pace of the show. And he just built like a, a hell of a following. Not only was he a good promoter, but the, the people were just, they were rabid for good vocal wrestling and regular wrestling because Rusty would run, I don't know, four or five shows a year. Bill Brown about the same thing, but this is somebody that ran often enough that you could build the storylines and develop the characters and the people could get into it. And so he built that following, which expanded from the VFW, which probably had a couple hundred people. Um, there were a few buildings, but we ended up almost home based at Davy rodeo arena where no names on the card, just the locals built, you know, built down here, 800 to a thousand people. And then there's, I mean, you're probably going to ask me about the King of carnage. Um, that was the show, you know, that 4,000 and change, something like that. And there were other shows that had 2,000. I mean, he ran there pretty regularly and, uh, monster indie shows. I mean, you couldn't beat that. And he was, he was a businessman. He wasn't bringing people in because he had pockets where he could lose money. He made money. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And he took care of the boys. Yeah. Yeah. was huge. That that, that is pretty good for an uh, indie company, uh, because like, TNA, when they would do house shows, they couldn't put 4,000 people in a building. So that says something, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
I'll talk a little bit more about FOW uh, a bit later on, but I wanted to bring up the 10th of April, 2000. Uh, it's another uh, dark match. Well, not dark match, actually. I'm sorry. I'm incorrect. Uh, it was for uh, WWF medal or Jack, depending where you are in the country, against SA Rios uh, in Sunrise, Florida. Um, I watched this earlier. Incredibly uh, jealous that you had physical contact with Lita. Um, he was on that tour in Peru, man. Oh, like, really? Amy's, Amy's a friend. I love Amy. She was on, no, you know what? She was on the second tour of Peru. She wasn't on the first one. But uh, before that match, she had just left. What was her name in ECW? Miss something? Uh, Miss Congeniality. Night. There you go. She had just stopped doing that. And it, it was like in that in-between period. And uh, she did the tour with us. And Amy's a sweetheart, man. Absolute freaking sweetheart. She actually helped me because SA didn't speak English at all. Yeah. So she born and raised in Miami, man, but my English wasn't that good. So I wouldn't have been able to communicate other than, yeah, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. You know, that's so she she actually helped us call the match and actually had to fill him in on the fact that I wasn't going to do a lot of his flippy floppy shit. Well, now that you've you've said all that, I mean, look, be still my my twelve year old beating heart at the time when I first when I first saw her on TV when she came out she had the red hair and the the red outfit and she was with when I, I I fell in love straight away I was like just like you know when Bugs Bunny sees the girl bunny and the the love heart yeah, shoot out the eyes that's exactly what happened exactly um, when I met her on the tour in Peru I was like damn yeah and then you get to know her and you're even more so. <laughs> excellent um so uh, how did you feel that match went with uh with him uh despite the you know the the language barrier it it went well um he was he he, he was a little angry at me because he wanted oh. to call his little on the rope flippity floppity whatever he does oh uh, to the arm standing right. there and i was like man you're not undertaker i'm not gonna stand there and hold you on the top rope man you're you know you're <laughs> So I told Amy, I go, no, no, no. I go, let him do it. But then I'm going to dump him to the outside. And he kind of, when she translated, he's like, oh, no. I go, well, then we're not doing it. And if you notice, <laughs> it's not in the match. Yeah. Because I, I was like, I'll dump you to the outside. Again, I was one of those people. I didn't care. You can go to the agent, complain all you want. Um, who was my agent on that one? Probably Tony Gurria or something. And Tony liked me. So I, he never even came to me if SA did go to him. I have no idea. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't very quiet. I went with everything else he wanted to do, but I was like, no, I'm not going to stand there and hold you up. I think it's one of the dumbest spots in wrestling, and it still is. I barely ever watch it, and I'll turn on the TV once in a while, try to give it a shot, and there's somebody doing the same crap. And I'm like, nope, done. So, yeah, so, but the match went well. Working with Amy, you know, I took the Hurricane Runner from her outside. I knew I was too far away from her on her moonsault, so I kind of did the job of sliding in a bit and turning my body for her. Yeah, <laughs> and I, had to cover, I had to cover the sensitive areas because I saw where she was lined up. But uh, but no, man, it, it went well. I was happy with it. I got in the back and, and you know, between Kevin Kelly and Tony Gree and the, the guys that talked to me, they were very happy with it. They loved it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, no, I watched it earlier and uh, certainly enjoyed it. Uh, and there's going to be a few other dark matches I bring up here and there. I just I, I just. I always like asking questions about the dark matches or the Sunday Night Heat WF medal matches because there always seems to be a little bit of a tiny story behind it, no matter who I ask uh, that ever did those types of uh, um, or got those types of opportunities. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Florida. Uh, 2001, you've got FOW, you've got NWA Florida, you've got IPW Hardcore. Uh, what was the Florida scene like at the time uh, and... 
also uh, the effect on all of you uh, chipping away, hoping maybe to, you know, uh, get a deal with one of these bigger companies, but then both WCW and ECW go under in 2001. So uh, tell me a little bit about the scene, but also if there was any sort of effect for you guys when those companies went under. Well, I mean, the scene was was great. It was, you had the core group of guys that really only worked South Florida, which would be FOW. And you had your core group of guys that worked Tampa area, NWA Florida and IPW were Tampa. And each one of them had the core group. The core group from IPW and Tampa were relatively the same. There were a couple outliers, but for the most part, they were the same. Angles would be different. Um, the, The style of wrestling would be very different. Howard Brody was running NWA Florida. I believe that's the time. Um, when they had the big invasion angle. And so he ran more of the old school Memphis style stuff. And then IPW was IPW, man. They were the holy shit chant company. Um, FOW had the the good mixture of both. The really old school, which in IPW, you would get the the silence or the or this is boring chant. Um, NWA Florida, that's mostly what you got. And then and FOW did a good job of mixing it. And it was fan-based. IPW's fans wouldn't have appreciated you know, a lot of the guys that were based in South Florida that did this stuff, they could have come up and they would have got shit on. And NWA fans would have appreciated it, but then you get in, they had the mixture of the hardcore. So it was, you know, you had, luckily I fit in everything. I didn't do hardcore, but I, I could. Um, and every now and then, me and Dennis Allen had fused with, I mean, every, I've done the barbed wire, the cages, the gimmicks around the ring. I remember a slamming a refrigerator on top of them because they had that around the ring. So, and that was another company, FWA Florida, which was doing very well, um, not on that scale, but it was uh, East Coast, cent- more closer to Central Florida. Um, so the scene was phenomenal. A lot of the guys were getting their shots with the Fed. I mean, Scoot was there. Uh, Mike Sullivan was there. Uh, Shane Twins were always getting looked at. Uh, Buck Quartermain and I did a shot for them. Um, crap, Pepe Prado. I mean, there was a bunch of guys. That's whose names were definitely be bounced around, and a lot of them wanted jobs. I'd say around the SA Rios time, I did not want a job with them anymore. And it was, and Kevin Kelly had talked to me, and not, you know, they didn't put some contract in front of me or anything like that. But they, he told me at one point, you know, my name came up in creative. They had this angle, and my name came up as a possibility. And he had flat out was like, he didn't want a job. I'll call him, but he don't want a job. And he called me and I said, it. and it was basically at that point, the boys were on the road 300 days out of the year. And you said SA was 2001. So 2001, I had my youngest daughter at that point. I have two daughters. So I had my youngest daughter. And as much as I was on the road and I was on the road a lot uh, between the Indies and the international tours, I was constantly traveling, but I had enough time at home that I got to, I got to be with my girls, which was honestly the only peace in the world I've ever had. So the 300 days out of the year and talking to the guys in the back and the guys that had done it. And I was like, no, not doing it. Not only not for them, but I wouldn't do it to myself because that would eat me up. Um, But a lot of the guys had big, because Scoot and I were actually at WCW. They flew us in uh, prior to closing and had us there for a tryout. And we were on the phone in the power plant with Kevin Kelly, telling them, telling Kevin how shitty WCW was (laughs) <laughs> and how clueless they were. And, and I mean, literally JJ Dillon in front of us. And uh, who, who was the other one? Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker and uh, Terry Taylor were there. Cause Terry's the one that brought me in when he left WWE, he brought me down there hoping to get me in there. And uh, I mean, we're, I'm in there with my cell phone going, this place sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. I destroyed their rental car. They gave me 
I ran up the phone bill in their hotel that they gave me. Um, I was like, man, this place, I'll never sign a contract with them. I don't care if they offer me 10 days a month and, and I, I'm not doing it. And so, but when things closed and I actually down here at War Memorial, I'd gone and met with Tommy and he had talked to me about coming in and I'm like, your boys aren't getting paid, man. And I'm not that guy. I don't do this for love of the business. You know, I like what I do in the ring. I hate the business. So you're going to pay me. And he was at that point, Paul hadn't shown up in WWE. So they still thought they were about to get a TV contract. And he was like, no, you know, it's, it's being worked out. Da, da, da. And I said, great. When it works out, man, give me a call. And, uh, you know, everybody knows what happens there. So there was a lot of, I say, deflation here when they kind of went under. Um, the good part is the core guys that were really, that knew they had a chance at it. We were all on doing international tours and, and heavily booked in the indies. Um, ROH had started already. So guys had big hopes for that. And they started to go in TNA. We had done a shot for, I don't know if it was IPW or, or T or um, NWA Florida that Jarrett was on and he had talked to the, a bunch of the guys. I knew at this point I wasn't interested. Um, I liked my international stuff. I liked my Indies and that's, that was going to be my thing. I owned a gym down here. Um, I taught at a college down here. So I, I had money. So I wasn't like, yeah, I care if I sign a contract with somebody, but Luckily, the, the, those two small doors opened that didn't just like completely crush the guys. I think they had no chance because now the WWE was the only game in town. Right. This is like one of the most interesting perspectives I've had. I think I've had in an interview because uh, almost everyone who would have been in the same position as you, uh, you know, that I have interviewed, they all wanted to get 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 signed, but you didn't care about in, that. I did. I, when I broke in, I did. Yeah. There's no doubt. Fair enough. But it's, yeah, I just find it interesting. Like you had certain priorities in your life, which made that option not even interesting whatsoever. So I totally dig that. Um, moving a little bit forward to June of 2001, uh, you uh, defeat Low Key again to win the FOW uh, Heavyweight Championship in uh, Hollywood. Um and then also, I believe it's the, on the 18th of June, 2001, excuse me, at the Ice Palace in Tampa, uh, you work on uh, Jackdaw Medal against Haku. And then on the 19th of the TD Waterhouse in Orlando for Heat, yourself and Buck Quartermain uh, were on that show as well. So uh, any little stories or nuggets of information from these three matches you could share? Uh, well, Haku... Man, let me tell you, I mean, everybody knows he's a badass. The, the rumors, you know, it's, and I heard it and, and Norman told me. So when I was booked to work Haku, I immediately reached out to Norman because I knew him and Norman were very tight. And I said, hey, man, I'm working Haku, you know, and I had all the walk in with respect, sir, what do you want to do? You know, all of that introduced me. Oh, that was a non-issue even before I got into wrestling. You know, I walk in, it's, it's immediate respect, but I knew that part. But uh, I forget what it was Norman said. I was, at some phrase he told me to say when I walked up. And Arn Anderson was our agent. And I walk up. And at first I introduced myself. And he's like, oh, you know, good to meet you. And, and then I said the phrase. And he gave me this cockeyed look. Like, what the hell? And then I, I just busted out. And I go, hey, man, Norman Smiley says hello. And he popped. He was like, oh, Norman, I love Norman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you know Norman? And I tell him, you know, grew up together, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we go through. And. You know, he's calling the match. He asked me, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, give him, you know, the stuff I do. And he he's putting it together where he's giving me stuff. And then he calls 
the missile drop kick off the top, which I don't even do a missile drop kick at that point, but he called it because I told me I threw, I, I think I said I'd throw kicks off the top rope, but I would throw like jumping side kicks or whatever. But he goes, okay, missile drop kick. And then he goes, and I bump and I kind of froze and I go, you what? And he goes, yeah, I bump. And I go, really? And he's like, yeah. And I go, all right. And then, um, then he goes, uh, and then he goes, you climb back up. And when you come off, I go, oh, tongue and death grip. He goes, no, super kick. I go, no, tongue and death grip. And he goes, no, kick. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to hurt so bad. So, you know, we do everything. I go up. He bumps for me. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. I go back up again. The kick on TV looked like he took my goddamn head off. Man, it was, and I sold it like he took my head off. No matter what, I went down going, okay, you're not going to have a choice but to sell this shit, so sell the hell out of it. And it was so freaking good. And then we go into the, the finish where he's picking me up and I'm supposed to fire on him. And then he's going to cut me off and go into finish. I don't remember what it was, but he's picking me up and I'm firing on him. And he's, I forget, he says something like, oh, cut me off, brother. I go, no, you cut me off. Finish. And he goes, oh, so he cuts me off. We go into the finish. No problem. I take the, the death grip and all that, you know, sell it, roll out. Um, he walks to the back first. I stumble up the ramp. And when I walk in, he's standing there and making sure that everybody at the gorilla position, Sarge, um, I forget who else was there. He's making sure that he tells them he screwed up the finish. And, that, oh, Billy Fives cover finish for me. And I'm like, no, 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 man. It, everything went fine. He's like, no, no, no. You cover for me. I forgot. How to... And he, he made sure they heard that. And I was like, holy crap. Even more so. that I had mad respect for him walking in. Walking out is even more so. You know, because there was no reason he could have walked in, shook my hand, said thank you, and that would I wouldn't even thought about the the thing in the finish. It wouldn't have mattered to me, you know. But just mad respect, and uh, so everything went smooth. And he was at the show the next day uh, when I was working Buck, and in catering, he made sure everybody heard it. And I'm like, come on, man, it's stop. I appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, and I, at that point, I told him, you know, I didn't want a job, so I even linked in. I'm like, hey, brother, I don't I don't want a job here. So I appreciate what you're trying to do, but you know, I don't want a job here. He's like, no, I go, no, man. I go, I, I, I'm about my daughters. I'm not going to spend that much time in the road. And Jamie Noble, who was there, actually trained. He broke in the same time as me. Um, and he trained in that the FWA territory I talked about in Central Florida. But we worked around each other a lot. And he was there, too. And he, he would constantly be trying to push me. No, Billy, you know, come on, Billy, take it. Get a job, Billy. Come on, Billy. And uh, I was like, no, Jamie, I'm good, brother. I love you. But, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, and then Bucky that day, man, Buck and I. We're on the show and off the show before we got in the ring six or seven times. No, no, we don't have time. Oh, no, no, go. Oh, no, no, we don't have time. Oh, no, 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 go. And so we had called some simple crap, whatever, and then we're standing outside, not in the gorilla, but right outside the gorilla position, just hanging out. And they're like, all right, you guys are going on. We're like, when? They're like, now, go. And we're like, oh, shit, okay. So we run out in the ring, and Buck still tells this story where uh, he, he – Kind of forgot shit. Bucky at that point, yeah, his memory wasn't so good. And he was, and he was, and when you forget shit, my, you know, I was taught it's not a mistake unless the crowd knows it. So I cover everything with, with some sort of more than likely I'll shoot a submission or I'll kick you in the face. So Bucky got kicked a few times. Um, he got stiffed a couple times. And then I walked in the back hot. And I, I'm known to have a little bit of a temper, but I loved Buck. So I didn't like, like shoot on him. I just kind of, you know, covered whatever happened. And uh, so I got in the back and I grabbed my gear and I'm walking out and he's chasing me down the hallway. And I'm like, Bucky, love you, but not the fucking time to talk to me. And <laughs> what, what you're not supposed to do there is leave before the show's over. 
I didn't care. I want a job. So I walked by everybody with my bag going, see you. So yeah, because they always made the mistake of paying you before the show. So I was out. <laughs> so yeah, I drove home from Orlando. Um, back then I drove a, an old police car. So I drove home at like 120 miles an hour. And Bucky called me at one point when he got back to Tampa. And he's like, hey, man, where you at? I go, I'm home with my daughter. He's like, how the hell are you home already? I'm like, don't worry about it. Awesome, awesome. See, it's those little yeah. stories. It's the minutiae I'm looking for. I love it. Um. <laughs> I love Bucky, dude. And he probably didn't screw up that much. I got angry quick just because I getting on and off that show. I went in that ring hot. So, yeah, that, <laughs> he, he may have missed one thing for all I remember. And I just, I, I was like, screw this. We're fighting. <laughs> Awesome, bro. Um, there was another thing that I was really looking forward to asking you about. Uh, I've had the chance to talk to a couple of people that were part of these tapings. It was for uh, the XWF uh, down in Universal Studios. For yourself, you uh, performed for the 13th and 14th of November tapings. You worked um, in a cruiserweight battle royal, Kid Cash, AJ, Christopher Daniels, Hoovy. Prince I care, psychosis, and somebody called Quick Kick. Uh, and then <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's still a rib between him and I, dude. That's that yeah. If you talk to him, you tell him quick kick is low key. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, it makes sense now. Uh, definitely quick kick, but uh, uh so that was the first match. Uh, and then the next day you worked against uh Dresden. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, I wanted to just ask you about, um, you know, how it came about. Obviously, Universal Studios, uh, that helps out. But, um, you know, uh, the experience of doing it, and you know, what you thought of the uh, whole thing. It was uh, WCW all over again. It was the uh, the older, we used to be over, we want to be over again, and now we can run our own company kind of crap. They <laughs> found some mark to spend what I would guess is, you know, a couple million dollars. Um, but the to get there, and at one point I was booked to work psychosis, man, and I was psyched for that. And that got bumped so that I could work Dresden. And I love Kevin. Um, Cyborg is what he was down here on the Peruvian tours. And as you said, just passed away, loved Kevin, good dude, but couldn't work to save his freaking, you know, his life, man. Didn't know, you know, a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Um, it was a legit shoot wrestler. It was a badass, but couldn't work. So I was, that was disappointing. The, the, um, the battle Royal, it was more of a disappointment too, simply because you had that amount of talent and you're going to throw them all into one stupid ass battle Royal. You weren't going to create a real like cruiserweight or light heavyweight or whatever they wanted to name it division when you yeah. had guys there that were phenomenal. Yeah. And so I got in and I'd already worked AJ at that point a few times. And I loved AJ. I met from the first day I worked him. Scoot told me, he's like, man, you're going to work this kid. Cause I was traveling when, when he first showed up at IPW. So I didn't, I didn't know him, but Scoot had worked him. So then Scoot's telling me, yeah, you're going to work this guy. We're going to end up in a feud together, the three of us. And you're going to, he's unbelievable. And I was like, all right, cool. So first match, man, I was blown away. And he used to ride down with David Young. We talked about David Young a little earlier. Um, he used to ride down from Georgia with David Young. And they were just good kids. And AJ was such a good kid. Still is from what I hear. Great guy. Um, and just talented. And you had, you know, you had guys in there that could just carry shit. And you're putting us all together in some dumbass battle royal. So 
Jimmy Hart was the one that really pushed for me to do this show. Uh, what did you, Jimmy called me RVD with a personality is, is how he said, come on, man, we need you. You know, we're going to put you in there. You're RVD with a personality. And I'm like, right, whatever, man. Um, and then I get there and I'm in this and I look at Jimmy and I'm like, no, no, we got plans. And I look and later on I'm booked with psychosis. So I'm like, all right, cool. Maybe not so much, whatever. So I looked at the guys when we're calling the match and I forget who the agent was. And I go, am I one of the final four? And they're like, no, I go, good. I'm out first. And the guys were like, well, I go, yeah, I'm out. And I think I either paired up with Daniels or AJ. I forget who I paired up with. And we did the whole thing where everybody starts off in a brawl and then you pair off in a corner and everybody runs a spot in the middle and do your thing. So I, I think it was AJ. And I said, all right, AJ, we're going to do that. And then we're going to run a little thing. And you're going to, I don't even know how he dumped me. I think he kicked me in my head or something and sent me over. I'm like, and I'm out. See you. And that's what I did. I was like, I'm first out. See you guys. And I took the bump and hauled ass. And then, uh, and then they care. I mean, it was, like I said, great workers. And then, uh, truthfully, I don't remember watching a whole lot. I don't remember them doing a whole lot with us in the two days. It was Piper was there and the nasties were there and Hogan and perfect. Um, road warriors were there. The Shane twins were in a feud with the sh asshole nasties and, and, and the war. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually almost instigated a fight with them with, uh, cause I forget who it was. I think it was the nasties treated them like shit in the ring and they walked out yeah. the Shane twins. I'd have a quicker few quicker fuse than me. And I, and I love those guys. Mike and Todd are such good guys and they walked out hot and I go, what happened? And, and they're like, Oh, and I go, the fuck it. Let's shoot on them here in the locker room. I got you six. And, like, and I got them riled up and they walked over and confronted them. And all I did was stand to the side. And I think I picked up something so I could just start cracking people in the head. And uh, if I remember correctly, the nasties back down quick on them and everything diffused. And I was like, all right, cool. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was the, the old timers trying to hold on to what they thought they still deserved. And, uh, but it was cool. Dre the match with Dresden, whatever. I walked up and, and uh, it, he was doing something with Snook and his kid. I don't remember who his kid was. And he, he basically, he's like, Billy, they want you to squat. They want me to squash you. And I go, good. Then we don't have to call anything. I'll see you in the ring. Try to squash me. And he's like, no, 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 no. But, but I don't want to squash you. And Kevin was a legit shooter. He was a badass. He could have, you know, it would have been ugly. Um, but he didn't want it, but he told me what they said. So we kind of worked something where it's still, I got my stuff and, you know, the match made me, I didn't look weak leaving that match and Kevin made sure of that, but, uh, you know, still he left looking like the big beast that he was. Excellent. Love all of that. Uh, I had the Shane twins on the show oh, a few you? months ago. Yeah. The first time anyone has ever had both of them on for an interview, I got oh, that really? me. So there you go, man. And, <laughs> and let me uh, tell you, they are they're a freaking riot. I don't know how they came off in the interview. <laughs> they were fantastic. Dudes, they're they're a blast, man. They're such good guys. <laughs> yeah, no, love them. Uh, and yes, they certainly uh, have no uh, love for the nasty boys. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, December twelfth, two thousand and one. Uh, I think this is this is the second last uh, dark match I'm going to ask you about. Actually, no, it wasn't a dark. Again, I'm wrong. It was on uh, Jackdaw Metal, whatever whatever part of the country you're in. Uh, Orlando Jordan uh, at the American Airlines Arena in Miami. Uh, I'm not a very big fan of Orlando Jordan, but uh, how did it go? <laughs> um, now, I don't know Orlando very well. What, what, so he, I walk in and Tony Gurria, everybody already knows I don't want a job. So I say, all right, Tony, you know, what do you want me to do today? And if I was on a show with Scoot, 
our big thing was not to work that day. We wanted to come in, get paid, go to catering, and then try to leave the building as quick as we could. And so a lot of times, you know, I was able to say, I actually screwed Scoot over at one point where I was supposed to work Val Venus for one of those shows. And he, he was laughing because he wasn't booked. And then I remember, I think it was Sarge or somebody walks down and goes, hey, Billy, who's working Val Venus? I go, I'm not sure. I think it's Scoot. So they called Scoot and Val over to go over the match. And Scoot looked at me like, you mother. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that was like, so I walk in with, hey, man, just tell me I'm not working. And Tony's like, no, no, we got this kid. We're taking a look at him. You know, we want you in there. You know, we're trying to get him to, to shine. I go, all right, cool. So he introduced me to Orlando. And this was down here in Miami. And so, I mean, this is my area. I know everybody. So I meet him. I go, hey, good to meet you, blah, blah. You know, where do you work out of? He's like, down here. I'm like, no, you don't. I'm like, you work in South Florida, bro. I know you. And he's like, well, you know, I moved down from Baltimore. I'm training with Rocky Johnson. Now, I've, I've had, I've met Dwayne a few times, um, actually, before he was The Rock, when he was just, uh, uh, what was it, Rocky uh, Mayavia? Yeah. Was, that was the beginning. And he hurt his knee. And he was actually friends with, with Barry Houston, the guy we talked about earlier. And when he was coming back and rehabbing, he came to Rusty Brooks School to train. And so we all got in the ring and worked with him and did some stuff. And nice guy. Whenever I saw him anywhere, you know, at the arenas, super nice guy. His dad was one of the snakes of the business. He, number one, couldn't train somebody to wrestle, no matter what. Guy just couldn't teach for shit. Uh, number two, he would try to just, you know, he'd work the boys. So uh, MVP, Hassan. Um, I was here when Hassan broke in, worked with Hassan. I was really the strong style guy down here. So Hassan and I kind of clicked on that and would get in the ring and beat the snot out of each other. And Hassan was one when he first broke in, called me over to a group of guys at a school where Rusty was. I, I mean, where Rocky was. And he's like, hey, man, um, there was a company called um, Urban Wrestling something, Federation Alliance, whatever the hell it was. And he, he'd gone to them and said, look, if you give me X amount of dollars, I'll get you booked. And so Hassan was like, you know, what do we do? And I go, so I say it loud enough so that he, Rocky knows that I'm, I'm stooging him out. And I, and I start saying, man, you never give anybody money up front. I said, if you want to give them a percentage when you get paid because they got you on the show, there's nothing wrong with that if they got you on the show. And I'm saying it so he can hear it. And so they all went, okay, we're not going to give money. So he already hated me. And then um, I think it was before, no, it must have been after this with Snooker's daughter. No, it was before this. One of Rusty schools, I show up, I'm in town. So I go to train with the boys, give back the same way I was given to. And he's in the ring with, um, I don't know her name. Snooker's daughter had flown down the train with uh, her. Tamina. Maybe. Uh, not a clue. And <laughs> everything he's showing her is wrong. I mean, she, she, I don't have anything against her. I just didn't get to know her. Um, everything he's showing her was wrong. So I'm in the ring and I stand in the corner and she takes a shitty bump off doing everything wrong. And she stands up and happens to be face to face with me. And I tell her, I go, just so you know, you're not learning a damn thing right. This guy can't teach shit. I said, get out of the ring and I'll show you how to do it. And at that point, I think it was, he was Tommy Vandal down here. Then he ended up, uh, he's AJ Slambino. Anthony, I love that kid. Um, just actually did a, his first match in two years. I, I got back in the ring for him and uh, worked on, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Um, and I said, get in the ring, AJ. Come on, we're calling the fly. And we just did a match on the fly, just calling it in the ring. And from what I hear, because I flew out again shortly after that, she packed her shit and went back to Minnesota or wherever the hell she was living. And Rocky wasn't training her anymore. So then this Orlando Jordan thing happens. 
And he's like, well, I trained with Rocky Johnson. And I said, all right, it's not this kid's fault. You know, he got worked by, by Rocky. That's fine. So I tell him, look, what do you do? We'll put it together in a match. We'll get your shine on because they're looking at you. So we go, you know, you get there at one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever the hell it was that they asked us to be there at that time. So we have all day. We go in the ring. We go over. He tells me what he does. Open with his stuff. I get a little in the middle. Get your stuff in. I get a little bit. And then you're finished and we'll call it a day. You get your shine on. We uh, we get in the ring. And, and so my ex-wife, my ex-sister-in-law is in the crowd. So she's on the phone. And my wife at the time, um, her sister, and she's like, oh, Billy's coming out. Yeah, he's in the ring. Oh, man, he's it's a pretty big black guy wrestling him, blah, blah, blah. And she hears the crowd start. And then all of a sudden, my ex-wife on the phone hears, oh, and Natasha, her sister's like, oh, Billy, jo- oh. oh. And, and so my ex-wife immediately goes, oh, you pissed him off already. And she just knew what was going on. <laughs> and so he screwed up his, his own beginning spot. And I just started just beating the shit out of him. Um, <laughs> Get the the referee, um, Mike something, the the balding dark uh, hair, Max Box. They on Mike dark matches to make them do a a cartwheel for the three count. I that's how I remember him. The, if it was a dark match and he was doing, he'd do it. They'd make him do a cartwheel to do the three count. But he leans in. He's like, uh, Billy, what are we doing here? I go nothing, and I just keep just going at him. And then I say, okay, hit your little move, and he hit his little move, and I'd cut him off. And then uh, the ref at one point goes, you know, are, are, what are we doing with this match? I go, this idiot's going over. That's what we're doing. And then at one point we did something and I go, hit your stupid move. And he hit his move on me and he laid there for three. And then I got the fuck out <laughs> and <laughs> him walk to the back first and scoot scoots watching. He knows, cause he was on this show. He knew exactly what I was doing. He went and sat next to Rocky and Rocky is hot. And Orlando walks in and goes up to Rocky and, you know, looking for the critique and everything. And, Rocky starts going off on him. How'd you let him eat you up like that? And, and Orlando's looking at him like, what the fuck was I supposed to do? And then I walk in and just as loud as I could be, because I didn't give a shit. I'm like, hey, Rocky, great job training that guy. And I just walk off. <laughs> excellent stuff, bro. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I, he passed too, right, Rocky? Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate talking about it. I I didn't even realize I wasn't sure. I don't like talking about it about people after they passed. That's no, just, of course. That's what it is. Rest in peace, brother. But uh, yeah, just uh, in life, I can say we didn't get along. Yeah. Look, fair enough, bro. Fair enough. Um, okay. His name's been brought up several times in this interview, Scoot Andrews. Um, just tell me a bit about your friendship with him, working with him. The black nature boy himself, he's uh, it is so underrated, so underrated. Please tell me about yeah, working baby. with him. The black nature boy, <laughs> baby. That's what I call him because on the on the on his tights he had BNB, but uh, I would just I just first time I saw it I said Boomba, and that was it. It's, that's been his name forever. I call him on the phone. I'm like Boomba, and he calls me Willie Sixes. What do you want? Um, so he was one of the the Central Florida Tampa guys. He was actually living in Jacksonville at this time, and it hooked up, became really good friends with Hack Myers, another one. Man, rest of peace. I love Hack, man. Did tours with him, did so many shows with him. Such a beautiful human being. Um, but him and Hack had become friends. So he ended up working down here in South Florida. And we didn't work together because he was kind of, he was top notch from the day I broke in. I think he was one or two years ahead of me. He was, you know, he was a main eventer. He was, he was, Scoot was Scoot by then. And only got better. 
Um, so I came in and honestly would study his shit big time, but he was watching me and he, he'd help me out, give me words, um, of encouragement and, and advice and such. And we keep saying, Hey, we, we're going to work together. We're going to work together. And I'm like, all right, man, you know, it'd be my pleasure, whatever. And, and so I'd probably see Scoot in these shows know, every couple months or so and immediately just start talking. And I'd, I'd pick his brain um, because he's quick to, to help, man. He's not somebody that's going to protect his spot, you know. And so then all of a sudden I ended up in IPW. When I first got to IPW, I was the king of the three-way matches. I would never win. I would never lose. I don't know. Just that's what it was. Nimi would call me and go, hey, brother, can you come up? And I'm like, all right, what's the date? And it's old school. You didn't do it in your phone. You had the actual calendar book and stuff. And I go, yeah, okay, yeah, I can do that day. Um, all right, who am I working? Because I was always protective about that. If you give me somebody I don't know, then I'm, I'm, I walk in guarded. Because you may be a shitty worker. I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Or, or somebody with potential. But at this point, I, didn't, I wasn't really getting that information from Ron. Um, I was just kind of showing up. And then one day Ron calls me and he goes, he gives me a date. And he says, you know, I go, yeah, okay, I can do that. And he, I go, all right, who am I working? He goes, well, you're working AJ. And Scoot had just, I think, rolled the title to AJ. And I went, oh, okay, cool. Screw finish or am I putting them over clean? Because I had never won a match in IPW at this point. And I'd only really worked with like cruiserweights at this point. And uh, he goes, no, no, we're putting the strap on you. And I laugh. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he's like, no, seriously. And he, that's where he told me it was going to be me, him, and Scoot in the three-way. And I called Scoot actually after that to find out I wouldn't get ribbed. I didn't believe it. And I called Scoot and he's like, no, brother, it's, it's happening. I told you we were going to end up working together. And from that point forward, man, Scoot and I were tied together just everywhere. I mean, he helped, he helped me get into uh, the Super 8 tournament. Um, Jeff Peterson uh, was my first match ever with IPW. And he was the nephew of the, the owner of ECWA back then. Um, and so he was putting me over. Kevin Kelly was putting me over. Scoot was putting me over. Scoot helped me get in. And I worked quick kick, not low key. I worked quick kick um, the first round, first match. And that's where I got to know Key real well. And we clicked. And so next thing I know, I'm up there working ECWA regular and Scoot's the champ. And I'm in a feud with him because that's what he wanted. You know, so he, he did. Yeah. Scoot, not only was it just a blast to work with him. Um, as a person, man, he's just such a good dude. We both have two daughters. Mine are a little older than his, but not by much. So we shared that big time. We, I mean, we'd sit there. It, when we first broke in, that's what we would talk about wrestling. I, you know, shortly after that, it was like, oh, yeah, we have a match. We should really talk about that because all we did was talk about our families. You know, my daughter's playing this sport or doing this in school or this or that. You know, that was it. That's, that was his focus as well. You know, so it just we just clicked as people. And that's not common with me because i'm not really a people person i i you know it's not a joke everybody in the business knows it i despise people i like individuals you know so until i get to know you as an yeah. individual I'll, sh I'll pay respect i'll be nice i'll shake your hand but you're irrelevant to me you're on fire i'm probably not gonna piss on you because i gotta save it for somebody i care about <laughs> good call bro good call you just man he did a lot for me he did a lot for a lot of the guys coming up in florida he just uh and not because he expected anything in return, wanted anything in return. Is just he's just a good dude. I hate saying this on this interview because normally I bash the shit out of him, but <laughs> he knows I love him. <laughs> yeah, bro. And uh, just as this interview is was in progress, I quickly checked Messenger because I'd asked Scoot if there was anything that I could bring up on the show, 
and uh, he he said to pass on this message. Uh, ask him how his legs felt after our WCW power plant tryout and walking into <laughs> Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> oh man! So, um, what was this guy's name? So Jamie Noble was there at that time, and um, Elix Skipper. So yeah. we show up. And I don't know, Buddy Lee Parker, I don't know what he thought we were there for, but he started running us through their bullshit fucking workouts for the, the power plant people. So we're doing our squats. It happens to be Scoot Andrews' birthday when we're up there. So we start doing the squats. We start doing the squats. Man, we squatted our ass off to the point that he had skipper at one point. I, I, he was probably he's trying to protect his spot because I didn't like the kid from the get-go. Um, oh, come on, do more, do it. And then finally, I think I was the one. I was like, man, I'm not here for your job, motherfucker. I'm like, they're bringing me in for a contract. I would never live here and do this. And I just started shooting on him because I don't, you know, Scoot, Scoot's quiet because I think he still wanted a job at that point. Maybe not with WCW, but uh, I was like, shut the fuck up. And then he turns around and couldn't do the most basic shit where Jamie Noble calls me over into the other ring. He's like, Billy, do this move. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I do it. And Jamie gets up and looks at Elix and goes that. And I turn around and look at this guy. I go, you're a moron. So the first day we were there, we go through this shit. The next day is the next day was Scoot's birthday. So I'm like, all right, man. And they give me a rental car. So I'm like, I'm, you know, we're at the same hotel. I'm like, we're going out. We're going to get something to eat. We're going to movies. You know, I got you. It's your birthday, man. So we, man, we walk into Outback and we're doing, I'm going to date myself, but the old uh, Tim Conway, um, Carol Burnett show, the old man that used to just shuffle his feet. You're probably too young. For <laughs> it was an old dude that just walked, like just shuffling his feet. So, I mean, we're walking like that. And I remember we're at the outback, and the girl goes, Okay, follow me. And we're like, We're not, we don't have to go up a step, do we? And she's like, no. <laughs> like Oh, thank God. And yeah, so we, we were hurting, man. And then uh, we went to the movies and sat there and just like propped our legs up, like, Holy, God. thanks for bringing that up, Scoot, you son of a bitch. Um, yeah, yeah, Whew. yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. And that was part of the reason. Man, I ragged out their rental car and ran up their phone bill and was like, fuck this place. But yeah, yeah, that was that was another mean scoot adventure right there. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, I, I noticed also in my research that uh, in April and June of 2002, you finally got to work a few times with Norman Smiley. I'm not sure if you did before this. But this is just what my research told me. I was for the FOW title as well. Bit of uh, hot potato with the belt there. Um, how was it after this time, if it is the only times you, you, or the first times you worked with him, how was it finally getting in there with the guy that helped train you? Um, other than training, that might have been the first match. I know we've had, we've probably had four of them. Um, but that I think those were the only FOW. I'm not sure. But uh, so this was, I think this was the, we were the semi-main to the main event of Dusty versus um, Abuda Dean versus Kevin Sullivan versus Terry Funk. So we were semi-main. And I remember Norman, when he walked in the back and Bobby Rogers, this was his show. It was a big show. It was a great show. Um, you know, I'm working Norman and he said something about me going over. And I said, Bobby, when's the next day, you know, what's your next date? And he gave it to me. And I look at Norman, I go, you available on that date? And he's like, yeah, I go, good. Then you're winning the strap tonight. And he's like, really? And I, and he goes, you know, is Bobby going to be all right with that? And I go, Bobby, he's booked on the next show. We're putting the title on him today. And Bobby, 
he knew it was good for business to have Norman Smiley's name as a champion. And the fact that, you know, I, he could roll it back to me or whoever on the next show made it even better. Bobby marked out for, you know, having a name like that on his world title list. So he was like, fuck yeah, I'm in. So Norman's like, all right, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, bro, we're semi-main event to four wrestling gods. So we're just going to go out there and wrestle. That's all we're going to, we're going to keep this shit classic. I, and we did, we just went out there and man, we put on just a wrestling clinic. And then um, I knew when he hooked me in, I forget what his finish was called, but it was that cross face chicken wing. The uh, um, Norman Conquest. Okay. There you go. I knew when, when he hooked me in it, the crowd was going to think, okay, Billy's going to find a way out of it. And the, the gasp when I tapped out was great for me, you know? And so just the match was fun. Being in there with Norman was fun. Um, just making it pure wrestling because we didn't have to do shit because the crowd had seen, a, I mean, there had been ladder matches before this. Uh, low key was on this show. So obviously there'd been some heavy hitting on this show. Chris Daniels was on this show. So there was flying around, but there, nobody on the show had just done a Matt classic, you know? And uh, so we did it. And, and funny thing is, um, I'm doing a shot for the Fed after that show, and uh, Devon and Bubba Ray come walking off. And Devon, I'd met him a few times, and and he comes walking up to Norman because Norman and I were on the Fed show together. And he's like, he goes, "Man, it, it's funny. We just flew in. I was watching one of your matches." And Norman's like, "What match?" And he said, "The one that had Terry and all those guys." So I know I'm the guy that he's working on that show, but he doesn't realize it at this point. I go, "Man, you know what match you're talking? You worked that bum from Florida." And he's and Norman Norman gets you know the work right there and he's like all right so he goes no that guy was okay I go come on Norman I go you carried that bum stop it stop it that guy sucked and Devon's like he's like no man he, he looked like he was good I'm I'm burying myself you know and Norman <laughs> turns, and if, I don't know maybe an hour or so later Devon's like Billy Fives come here and I'm like he's like you motherfucker that was you <laughs> I'm like oh, got you buddy um so we worked that and then honestly I don't even the second one was back at the Davy Rodeo Arena, and I, we did a finish that uh, was funny. I saw it on WWE maybe like a, a month later on a pay-per-view where he hooked it in, and I ran up the ropes and flipped backwards and did the, the tap on one side while the ref was counting the shoulders on, down on the other side and got the title back because I was the heel at that point and got the title back. And then Norman went, and, you know, eventually, thankfully, uh, you know, he got his job, and he's been training there forever, dude. He's, they love him up there. Yeah, no, I'm really happy for him that he's there right now. And it's good to have uh, minds like his uh, there behind the scenes at the Performance Center. They've got a good bunch of people there, you know, Regal and all that. So um, yeah, how could they fail? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I've seen uh, some of their products. They are. <laughs> well that part that part is a massive issue but we if we go down that rabbit hole we might not ever come out um even a great actor can't make a shitty script look good right <laughs> robert de niro in, in uh rocky and bull will we call i mean uh <laughs> oh my god was he actually in that movie yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't say I've ever watched it. Wow, somebody was hard up for money. All right. <laughs> uh, another thing that I found very interesting, August 10th, 2002, you challenged CZW World Heavyweight Champion Justice Payne at a show called No Excuses. Another rest easy. Yeah, another rest yes. easy, brother. Yeah. That's it, man. Um, I just thought it was interesting that you, you entered the world of the combat zone uh, back then when it, things were really crazy for them. I think uh, John Zandig was still running things back yeah, then. Zandig, yeah. 
great dude. What a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah how was absolutely. the experience at CZW then? Well, Justice and I had worked each other in IPW. Okay. And he had come down. And it was title versus title, I think. And then we had some swerve finish where we were both heels. Uh, so I think we beat up the referee or grabbed somebody from the crowd. Whatever we did, Shane Twins came in for the big baby face save. And um, so him and I had worked together already. And CZW and, and IPW had like kind of a talent exchange thing going. And Nimi called me and was like, hey, man, you want to go work CZW? And I'm like, I, you know, I'm not doing all this light bulb and all that shit. And he's like, no, but you're justice. And I said, all right, you know, whatever. I'm getting paid. Um, and it was, I remember I was flying. I was supposed to fly in either home base down here or flying to Tampa for a show. But then he was like, we can get the, the ticket changed. We'll fly you straight into the, they flew me into Newark. Um, and then uh, I was like, all right, yeah, cool. I'll do it. No problem. And so what a great freaking crowd. Holy crap. Because on that same day, we're at the ECW arena. On that same day, um, forget the, what was the month? August? Uh, it was, excuse me. Uh, August 10th. August. So at that point, baseball and preseason football, right? Something was going on. There was something, there were two major sporting events going on at this point. So there were two reasons for people not to show up to the ECW arena. And the place was packed and hot. And I was like, okay, great. And I, I made sure, you know, I, I met Danzig and didn't know much about him. Hello, how are you? He had some kid, oh, I forget this kid's name, and he passed away too, man. He had this kid drive all the way to Newark to get me um, and drive me back down and uh, meet him, talk to him. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be on before all this glass and shit. And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not going to be on because that shit gets stuck in the canvas. I'm like, I'm not doing that. And we did it. We went in there and brawled all over. I got to get thrown off of the crow's nest of the ECW <laughs> arena to the floor through a table. And uh, it already cost me at that point with a ring bell. So I couldn't see any further than like my hand in front of my face. And so when he goes to throw me from the top, I hook his leg because he's like, all right, through the table. And I hook his leg and I go, what? And he's like, are you all right? And I go, I'm OK. Is there a table there? And he's like, yeah, I go, you better have good aim. Go. And he threw me and I'm fine. <laughs> Man, I hope there's a table there because it at least semi <laughs> And I crashed through the table and thankfully I had to climb his ass all the way back down. And I got to sit there and just blink my eyes and try to collect myself. Um, blood coming down my face. And uh, yeah, but you know what? We had a lot of fun. And it was an accident with the it, you know, momentum of he ran across all the, he had all the, the tables at ringside that announcers and, all, and he ran all the way across, jumped the guardrail, hit me with the bell and forgot that there's a big bolt in the top of the bell. So it rolled and went right into my head. And so, yeah, immediate hot flashes. And um, I, I walked in the back and Danzig was cool as shit. And, and I had not taken the hotel room that he gave me because it was in South Philly. And the kid that had driven me all the way down lived in North Philly and had driving back to Newark. So I had told the kid, hey, don't worry about it. I'll get my own hotel near your house. I was going to use points or something. And he's like, no. And I go, no, no, don't worry about it. It's all good. Don't worry. And I already got my payday. And all of a sudden, he walks up with an envelope from Danzig. Danzig's giving me more money. And I walked up and I'm like, hey, man, you booked the hotel for me. I'm good. He's like, no. He goes, you're with me. You're taking care of it. And I appreciate you doing that. You know, take care of my kid. And I was like, yeah, I go, you ever need me? I'm in. You know, no big deal. And then the whole, uh, what was that idiot that started? Justice moved off to that company with the porn guy or whatever. Oh, XPW. Yeah. Yeah. Shit got weird. And uh, I, I was like, all right, you know what? Yeah, I'm, Danzig thankfully didn't call me because I don't know if I would have been able to say no to him. 
but shit was weird. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay away from there. Fair enough, bro. And I, and I just wanted to let you know that you kept on calling him Danzig then. Um, oh, I, yeah, I'm yeah. A, Danzig. I, I'm, I'm aware a big of Danzig music. fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's oh, yeah, that's Danzig. why I noticed. I think I did it to him too. <laughs> that's why I noticed. Uh, like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah thank, you. I, I, thank you. Thank you. I, I saw I saw Danzig perform in Germany uh, two years ago. So uh, uh, I yeah. saw my House of Blues in Chicago in early 2000s. Oh, awesome, bro. Awesome. I can't believe that Misfits are back together as well. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, back into uh, some more questions. We're getting to the tail end here, uh, bro. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, Mid-2000s, was there a time during the mid-2000s that you, you kind of wanted to start slowing down in, in, in pro wrestling? Because uh, when I did my research, I go onto a website called cagematch.net and it has a listing of matches that people have had. And it was around the mid-2000s where it started to thin out. Um, but it could be wrong because there's only two pages worth of results for you. And I'm sure you had more than, than the matches <laughs> that are <Yeah>. on there. <laughs> um, um, well, so 2004, late 2004-ish, uh, my oldest daughter loved the fact that dad was a wrestler. Um, you know, at this point, she would have been like eight. And so I would fly in from somewhere at the international tours and we talk about where I was and then we start talking about where I'm going to go. And she loved it. Show and tell at her school was championship belts, um, things like that. And, and, you know, so she loved it. All the kids in the school knew I was a wrestler. She loved it. And I don't remember where I flew in from, but if I was in town, it, it was all about my daughters. So I would drive them to school. I would pick them up from school. You know, that was all I did. So I was driving her to school. Yeah, I was driving her to school and flying out that day. No, I was actually driving her to school and I was going to be in town that weekend. And she, we started talking about, you know, where I'm going to go next. And she didn't have that look on her face like she was interested. So I asked her and she's like, I don't want you to travel anymore. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, uh, and I told her, I go, that's going to be a big change. You know, daddy, that's what daddy does. I mean, I still, I own the gym and I taught at the college and all that, but that's what daddy does. I said, uh, I'm in town this weekend. We're not going to talk about it. If you bring it up one time, it's off the table. I'm going to keep traveling. So we'll talk about it. And I was flying out Monday after I took her to school. That's what it was. And I said, we'll talk about it Monday on the way to school. She's like, okay. And my kids are, they're phenomenal. They were phenomenal kids. They're phenomenal adults. She didn't bring it up one time. She, we had a great weekend, did whatever we did, me, her and her sister and hung out. And uh, I'm driving her to school that Monday. And I look in the rearview mirror and I go, we have something to talk about. And she's like, no, I haven't changed my mind. And at that point, uh, Tiger Hattori had wanted me, you know, in Japan, like a lot. And I think that was one of my main tours. And then I had, I was doing Europe at the time with Germany. And then there was an England tour. And um, so I called up and I was, the booking was done for like the next two tours or maybe three, I forget what it was. So I told my daughter, I said, I have commitments I have to fulfill, but I'll stop after that. And so I was doing those and Scoot at the same time was kind of done himself. His kids were getting older. And so him and I had talked and there was another guy that we, the three of us came up together. The three of us were the, the, the mainstays and it was me, him and Mike Sullivan. Um, and so it came about the three of us were going to do a retirement match and just walk away. 
And so we had this match. It was for NWA Florida. Match was great. Had a great time. Stood in the ring. And I was done at that point. I really didn't care because if I'm not doing international, I'm not making money. And that's what I cared about. So I think it was about, I was out for about two years. And my youngest daughter, Madison, um, was like, because my oldest daughter, Kayla, was still a fan. She made me watch Raw, and then she'd pop in the DVDs of my old matches and stuff like that. And there was a show in town. She'd make me take her to see the boys because she grew up with them. And the boys would be over the house. A lot of the boys trained at the gym I owned. So my daughter would see them all the time. So my youngest was like, you know, I never really got to see you do it because she was young when I stopped. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I don't want to do it. But it's my girls. You know, it's hard to say no to them. So uh, just so happened there were a couple of shows. And people were still asking. And so somebody called and they, it was basically a fuck you show to the guy, Bruno Sassy, who was my first match in WWE that we talked about. Helped train me, but we had a falling out. And uh, so they were basically, he had a company down here and a few companies got together to steal his building and put on like the superstars. Everybody that didn't work for him was going to come in and put on the show shows in his building. So they called it the fuck Bruno show. And I went, all right, that's my perfect opportunity. I'm in for the fuck Bruno show. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. And I think it was me and, and Bruce Santee, who was another one that I worked a ton with and love him. Um, so I was like, all right, yeah, I'll work Bruce. So I worked Bruce. And then from there, like, you know, I would do people would call me and I'd talk to my girls and go, hey, you know, do you guys have something this weekend? Do you want to? And if they said, yeah, yeah we'll want to watch you. And, and I tell them who's on the show. That was important to them. If the Vandals or Bruce or Scoop, forget it. If Scoop was on the show, I had to be there. Whether I was on it or not, because the girls wanted to see them. Um, you know, if the guys, they loved to run the show. Okay, Dad, yeah. I was like, screw it. If I'm going to be there, I might as well get paid. So I'd do a match. So it, was, it became like once a year. Uh, Bobby Rogers restarted FOW for a little bit. So I did a few for him there just to help him get started. But for the most part, it was once a year. Um, I've done the same thing. Gangrel had his, his uh, school, Gangrel Wrestling Asylum. Now he's with uh, CCW um, down here. Um, so if Dave would call me. Hey, Billy, you know, I got somebody fell out or I got it. All right. Yeah. For you, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I avoid it, man. I don't, I don't want to do it, but uh, yeah, so it definitely 2005, it, the numbers of doing, you know, a hundred and something matches a year went down to like one, two at the most. So yeah, your research is pretty correct there. I, I'm so happy because it's so often the internet's wrong about things. And I've, I've I'm actually, I've got a hundred percent strike rate. <laughs> uh, I'm shooting uh, 100% from the field tonight, luckily. Um, I did want to bring up the November 11th match that you had for uh, Coastal Championship Wrestling against AJ Slambino. 15 minutes, 21 seconds. Uh, you Is defeated him. Yeah, apparently so. At a uh, show called that's, that's, We Will Overcome 2 uh, at yeah. the CCW Arena in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. How did it go? Is there going to be some more Billy Fives coming our way in the future? Um, who just, I was actually talking to somebody. So w, WWO, the show, it is put together, organized, run by Anna Diaz, which is Gangrel's daughter. Um, and it's a fundraiser for uh, epilepsy, learning about epilepsy, you know, treating epilepsy, anything to do with epilepsy. She, she, she knows this information better than I, but Anna called me for that show. And Anna's, you know, Dave's family, Anna's family, Susan, uh, the mom, family, 
Uh, so when Anna called me and asked me to do the show, it's like, I, it's not quite my daughter's, but it's still very difficult to say no. Um, so AJ had, had opened his mouth on one of his podcasts at one point that he does. It's called The Breakfast Club. And had said he wanted another match and he called me out because I helped train him. I was actually back in the day known as his road dad. Like I protected him, Eric, Johnny Vandal or Vandal or Torgan or Tugan or whatever his name is now. Um, I protected him on the road because they were kids when they broke in. And, you know, I wasn't going to let him just go out there and, and get into the, the train wreck that is the wrestling business. So he had opened his mouth and talked some shit. And so when Anna brought it up to me, He's on TikTok and has, I don't know, 250, 300,000 followers as a fat shit that eats food and grades it. Um, so I knew that he could help promote the show. And so I told her, look, can I work this guy? He'll promote it on his TikTok and all this. And, you know, it'll help with donations because the, the venue itself, you're talking you know, two, three hundred people. It was mostly for donations and for awareness of, of epilepsy. So she was like, yeah, no problem. So we arranged it. Um, he came in. I think I've told him this. I told it, my daughter, my youngest one, and I had this conversation because she came to the show. Uh, he pissed me off because he came in grossly out of shape. Oh, and no. I, love him. I love him. And because I love him, I didn't beat the living shit out of him. But he came in and it was insulting. Um, so we went back and forth. for I think actual action, your 15 minutes, it couldn't have been more than seven or eight tops and then when i i cut it short because he was <laughs> he couldn't breathe so i i leaned back and picked him up and said we're taking it home and the ref randy eller he's smart at a business been around forever he knew it and we just took it home and then i actually well he was laying there on the mat i sat down looking at him and was looking at the camera where his uh podcast partner ben and his his parents were actually in town they live in uh north carolina or somewhere um and they were in town visiting and he lives in the georgia area he was in town, so everybody happened to be there. So I looked at the camera and, and where they were all sitting and just started mocking his big-ass belly going up and down and up and down and him huffing and puffing and just looked at him and just gave the hands up like, yeah, that's all I could get out of this fat fuck. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, again, love him. Uh, if, if, uh, if I do anything else, it would be for a cause like that. You know, um, I, I'd prefer to do something maybe outside the ring or help with the show. I don't really want to be in the ring too much anymore. I'm old, man. I'm I'm not as old as Scoot Andrews, just so you know. And that's a shoot. He's older than me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, if if it's a good cause for something, I might dust them off and and get back in. But for the most part, no, man, I'm not interested. Fair enough, fair, fair enough. I, I had to ask. Um, uh, right at the tail end here, I wanted to know if there was anything that you wanted to plug. Uh, anything that you know you want to let anyone out there know about um, the, the floor is yours no man you know what it is same thing I always plug coming up is is uh, what you see on TV is fun and cool but man go to the indies it'll blow your mind the stuff you see and then even better you get to when they show up on TV you get to go man I saw that guy win it's kind of like yeah. when I saw Guns N' Roses from Motley Crue and nobody even knew what Appetite for Destruction was <laughs> I get to I get to tell that story you know and it's, it's the same thing going to the Indies, man. Go there and support it and, and just, uh, yeah, it's that's where these guys come from. And as much as I'm not a big, you know, I want to be in the ring guy, it's still I support the fact that there's a lot of guys that still want to 
make their dreams come true. Forget whether they ever make it somewhere. Just make their dream come true of showing up in a ring. And it's hard to do if the people aren't out there to support it. Absolutely. Very good call. And I like uh, that I'm still better than Scoot Andrews. <laughs> Is that a challenge? Do you, are you trying to get him out of the tournament? <laughs> I'll fight him in his parking, in his driveway at his house. <laughs> well, can you at least get someone to film it for me? Oh, we'll uh, film, yeah. His kids will film me beating his ass. <laughs> Excellent, bro. And I'm very jealous that you got to see Guns N' Roses at that stage. That is insanity to me. They're my favorite band. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay, Billy Fives. We're getting to our final segment here of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You got five seconds to answer each question. Even if you don't make the five second rule, it doesn't matter. I'm on the other side of the world. And even if I was there, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it anyway. You kick my ass. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> first question Billy Fives who is your favorite wrestler of all time uh Ricky the Dragon Steamboat excellent choice favorite opponent over the years Scoop yeah hands excellent. down easy excellent uh if you could I know this is a tough one but if you could pick one match what's the favorite match that you've performed in honestly there's no tape of it anywhere it's in Saudi Arabia with Mike Sullivan Lex Lovett wow amazing um Moving away from wrestling, favorite book? Celestine Prophecy. Nice. Favorite TV show? Old school, man. I'm still a Cheers guy. I love Cheers. <laughs> Excellent. You're doing quite well so far. Favorite film? Oh, First Blood. No doubt. Oh, bro, yes. My daughter's first rated R movies ever that they watched was, was First Blood. <laughs> Excellent choice. Uh, favorite musical artist? Motley Crue. Yes, dude. Oh, my it's God. 1981, I a, man. I've got a theater of pain tattoo right here, dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you. That's crazy. I can't believe it. can't believe you said Motley Crue then. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting away from the arts now, very favorite food. Uh, I'd say probably pizza. There's a couple, but pizza's on top. Yeah, pizza's probably our number one answer for favorite food on this show. Uh, still food-related. Favorite place to eat on the road. Oh, crap. I'm not a big fast food guy, but if I got to pick something, it's Chick-fil-A. Nice. I've heard that one before on this show. Uh, third last one for Five Second Frenzy. Favorite alcoholic beverage? Oh, I'm a tequila guy. Tequila nice. with a beer chaser. <laughs> good call. Good call. Second last one, Billy, the, the, the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Favorite female body part? Oh, I'm a boobs guy. Yeah, can't complain with that answer. Um, and the last one, Billy, uh, favorite curse word? Fuck! <laughs> that too is the number one answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Billy Fives, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me uh, here today for you tonight for me. Um, you know, Scoot talked you up so much so that you'd have a great interview with this guy. Then uh, old mate Jet Jaguar, he said the same. And I'm like, can you get me his email? Let, let's get this done. And uh, I, my face hurts from laughter. I really loved all the stories. You went into great detail. And I just really, I want to thank you so much for, for giving your time to me because uh, earlier you said only three people are going to watch this or going to want to watch. No, you're wrong. Okay. You're wrong. You're a legend. 
you're, you're a damn legend, okay? No doubt about it. Anyone who's mentioned your name to me has said nothing but the best about you. So I hope you're very proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business, but also what you've accomplished as a, being a father and a stand-up guy. Without a doubt, the, 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 by far that one, but wrestling, yeah, no, man. I'm, I'm happy with what I got to do and especially with the people I got to meet doing it. And, and honestly, thank you for continuing to promote you know, the, everything from the, the bigs. I mean, you'd interview The Rock if you could to, to guys like me, to guys coming up and just keeping the business going for people that want to, you know, live the dream, like I said. Excellent, bro. Well, uh, thank you again. I really appreciate it. A pleasure, friend. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here in the WCWA Network. I'm your host, California, alongside my new friend here, Billy Fives, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.